Hello and welcome to another edition of the Informal Podcast. This is week two of the Informal MLB Pod. I'm Sam Lewis, your host here with regular co-host on the MLB Pod, Aaron Lewis. Lewis, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good, man. I guess it's official. I am the MLB guy and ready to talk more baseball. You have officially pigeonholed yourself as the MLB guy and it's fantastic. You're wonderful at it. We're happy to have you. We've got a ton of things to talk about here in the second week of recording. There has been so much going on. I want to start with the Braves, but we can't. we got to save the Braves for the end. This is not a Braves podcast. This is an MLB podcast. Give me, let's just jump right into it. What is one big thing from the week of Major League Baseball that stood out to you that you want to get off your chest to start off with? Well, obviously, as an avid Braves fan and a big National League watcher, this kind of hurts to say this, but the more I watch of teams from the American League, such as the Astros, the Yankees, the Red Sox, I'm starting to believe that we're seeing a power shift right now if the power wasn't already there. And uh, if I had to make a pick right now of which league's taking the World Series, I'm thinking the junior circuit is where it's going to come from. I think we touched on it a little bit last week, but the three best teams in the league are obviously the Red Sox, the Yankees, and the Astros. And I think that those that's where your your favorites come from right there. And then you've got the Angels, who would, you know, have the best player in the world in Mike Trout. And the most exciting player in the world in Shoatani. Exactly. And the Angels always tend to choke and either don't make the playoffs or get swept in the first round. Mike Trout still has as many playoff wins as you and I do. That's correct. But I mean, I wouldn't count them out either. So I I can't argue with you there. I think they're the best teams are definitely in the AL. Um but in the NL you've got Kershaw coming back for the Dodgers. You got Bumgarner coming back for the Giants. You got the Cubs kind of starting to turn things around. The Nationals getting healthy. The Brewers are good. Brewers are good. I thought last year was going to be not uh, able to repeat that, but no, they've proved me wrong in a big way. They actually... Are they in first place right now? They're in first place right now, and at last I saw, they I think they've got the best record in the National League. Really? It was the Braves for you know a good week, but... And it was fantastic while it was happening. It was fun while it lasted, and hey, it might happen again, but no, at last I saw, don't the Brewers have like 35 wins? 35 and 20, four and a half games up on the Cubs. I had missed that. The last I looked, that entire division, I think, was in a game and a half of each other, except for the Reds, who should be relegated. It was, and it's hard to run away with the division, of course, in the springtime, but uh, the Brewers look as good as anybody. They definitely do. I don't know if I trust that pitching. I mean, they've got, they're one of these teams that has, it feels like they have a lot of good pitchers, but not a great pitcher, which over the course of a season, that can hurt you. But they're definitely, they're for real. They're for real. I think the Braves, as much as I hate to say it, the Braves are for real, but I don't think that they're favored to win the division. Same kind of thing with the Phillies. I think you still got to give that edge in the East to the Nationals. And with Daniel Murphy coming coming back, Bryce Harper hitting a home run literally every night. You know, Rondon's good. They've still got Scherzer. I think the Nationals might be able to sneak in there and compete with those three big teams from the AL. No, and speaking of one of those guys, you know, Bryce Harper, he, he's hitting home runs like he always has right now, but the second he gets that average up, the second he starts uh, putting games together consistently like he has over the course of his career, the Nationals are going to be a scary team there in the National League East. Without a doubt. I mean, he's, he's hitting home runs like you said, but he's not having his best all-around offensive season. Daniel Murphy has been hurt the entire year. They're getting nothing out of Ryan Zimmerman, and they're still a half game back in the East. So while I'm overjoyed that the Braves are in first place, I just, I'm terrified. I wouldn't quite bet on them. I'm not that confident just yet. Give me a month to think about it, but uh, I'm cautiously optimistic about the old Bravos. We will talk more in depth about the Bravos a little later in the pod, but one of my biggest things to take away from this week is... Jordan Hicks is not a human being. Jordan no, yeah. Hicks 
relief pitcher for the Cardinals, is out here throwing 106 mile an hour two seam sinkers with Greg Maddox level movement, and it's unbelievable to me. It doesn't make any sense as a physical, as a human. I don't understand how this is happening. No, and I think that happened about a week and a half ago. You know, so much has happened since then. I, I kind of forgot about it. But when I first got the notification on my phone that he had thrown two or three pitches that were the major league record or near the major league record for fastest pitches, my first thought was. Why have I barely heard about this kid? Then he's one of those guys who, going further into his story, it only gets weirder because, you know, when you think of guys throwing 105 miles per hour like a Rolls Chapman, you think of the hefty strikeout numbers, and he's not like that at all. Not at all. He Right now, it's him and Chapman are the two hardest throwers in the league. I think I saw a stat that said a Rolls Chapman has had the highest average fastball velocity in the league for the, like the last six or seven years, basically since he came into the league. Uh-huh. And Hicks has a real shot to beat him this year. But like you said, he's not. He doesn't have any strike. I mean, you think 105 miles an hour, especially with the movement he's got. I'm. You're thinking 12 Ks at least per nine, 15 maybe, 18. Like Josh Hader, yeah. Right. I mean, Chapman always has those huge numbers, but he's currently, as we stand recording this on Tuesday night, he's at 4.2 Ks per nine. Same. And I, I guess you can attribute it. You know, you mentioned the fact that he's throwing a two seamer, which not as many guys are doing these days. And he came up in the Cardinals organization uh, and is still there, which is, of course, notorious for the sinker ballers. Right. So, you know, the thing I've been wondering about that I believe I heard on a uh, broadcast the other day, I can't remember which game it was, but they mentioned the possibility of, you know, getting him with a pitching coach to give him kind of a more traditional approach to pitching a guy so you can take advantage of that extreme velocity. But we'll see if that's the decision or not. I mean, like you said, two seam, two seam sinker, it's more of a pitch to contact pitch. And the four-seamer is supposed to be the one that has a high velocity. So if he starts throwing a four-seam fastball, oh, is he going to throw 108, 109? Absolutely. And you know, the thing about him is we said that he's averaging about six walks per nine right there, which is you know kind of comical in its own right. But yeah, if you're throwing 100, 506 miles per hour and you don't know where it's going, I can only imagine what uh, is going to happen if he tries to transition into more of a four-seamer kind of yeah, guy. Yeah, I... I I mean, I don't know a ton about Jordan Hicks other than the highlights I've seen of him, and he is one of the nastiest pitchers that, I mean, just as, as far as pure stuff goes, that I can imagine. If he can figure it out and kind of have an idea of where it's going, yep. look out. He is going to be disgusting. Um, moving on, though, we have to talk about um, Shohei Otani. It's Absolutely. a weekly, it's going to be a weekly tradition on the informal MLB cut informal MLB pod. Lewis, I can't talk, I can't talk tonight. It's light, it's light. It's I mean, goodness gracious. I was up late watching the Braves last night. We had a doubleheader <laughs> on Memorial Day. You were there for part of it. That's we'll, right. We'll let you dive into it later as part as our uh, informal on-site correspondent. That's right. But we were I was up late watching this game and I just can't I can't talk right now. But we were talking about Otani. He's incredible. His last start was once again another dominant outing. He's hitting I mean, better than anybody could have imagined him hitting. But he missed his scheduled start on Sunday, much to the chagrin of baseball fans who are excited to see the all-Japan matchup between him and Tanaka. He gets moved back five days. Is this something we need to be concerned about as baseball fans? They said it's workload management, Uh which seems weird to me because he's already not pitching as much as a normal pitcher is. Right. Um, but, I mean, what do you think? Is there more to read into it? Is it something we need to be worried about? Or is it really just they're trying to save innings? I mean, at the moment, I think I lean, or lean towards the latter. Probably just kind of trying to limit him just a little bit, just to be very cautious about their investment. Now, the Angels, apart from just 
limiting his innings, I know they discussed going to like a six-man rotation, trying to, you know, kind of once again protect their guy who they paid all that money for. But I think, of course, once it gets down to August, September, if they're in the race for a wild card or even the division, I definitely think they'll be more prone to letting Otani kind of go his own way. But uh, it is kind of interesting right now how uh, they're sliding just a little bit, and I think the way for them to be most in there with the best chance to win would be to throw him more, but hasn't been the case just yet. It's it's a weird situation because he as it is he's only pitching once a week. You know he's not on the regular every five day schedule. He was basically pitching every Sunday for the first six or seven weeks of the season. The guys coming from Japan they don't pitch as often over there as the guys in the major leagues do. Typically, I think it's I think they do all run six man rotations. Something like that. Yeah. I mean I'm not we're no Japanese baseball experts here, but they don't pitch quite as much. So he's in an environment he's never been in before, but he's absolutely dominant. I mean. And as a baseball fan, I want to see this guy play. It's kind of like Hicks. You know, I don't know if Jordan Hicks is any good, but I love watching him pitch. Mm-hmm. And I know Otani's good. And when they, they say workload management, I want the workload management to be that he's getting more work. Not just because he's on my fantasy team. He is <laughs> on my fantasy team. And it's fantastic. I love every minute of it. But you know, I, he's dh on days he's not pitching. And that's fun, but I want to see this guy throw. He's one of the best pitchers in the league already. I want to see him throw more. Yeah, I, I kind of see him hit more because they typically give him the days off before and after the games that he's right. scheduled to start. But no, the more this guy we can get is better, not just for us as fans, but for baseball in general. Because you know, if anyone has brought eyes to the product this season, it's been Shohei Itani. So hopefully we do see more of him as the season goes along. I really hope you're right. And I think the your theory is right. I think that the plan is probably to pitch him more down the stretch and have him fresh for August and September and hopefully October. But right now they're in third place. They're four and a half games behind the Mariners, which, I mean, we can talk about the Mariners if you want to. They made a trade. I don't think that they're going to be hanging around late into the season. But they're in the same division as the Astros, and the Astros, we talked about right off the top, are one of the best teams in the league. So I don't really envision them challenging for this division, no matter how much they throw them. No, and speaking of the Mariners, or are we saying on the Angels for now? Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I mean, let's go, yeah you mentioned that trade. Let's talk about the trade for just a second, I mean. So, the way I understood it, the Mariners have traded for Alex Colomb, and who was the other guy? It, it was Kalme and uh, Denard Span. And Denard Span. So, yeah, Denard Span. Who is Spann, still in the league. Somehow still in the league. And the last I saw his statistics, he's not anything special these days. No, but I mean, that gives the Mariners a pretty solid bullpen with them. Um, is it, is it Colome or Cologne? I, I've heard Colome, yeah. but it doesn't matter. You're probably right. So I him, don't know. With him and Edwin Diaz, you know, that's a pretty solid. Diaz uh, is nasty. Back into the bullpen right there. But no, when they lost Robinson Cano, that was one of the first things that said to me. They're, or they might be having a good summer, might kind of hang in it for a while. But I don't see the Mariners sticking around. I still do think it is the Astros division to lose. Without a doubt, it's definitely the best team. And the Mariners... Correct me if I'm wrong. I believe they have the absolute worst farm system in baseball. It ain't good. They, I mean, they've got James Paxton, who's you know turned into a bona fide ace, but they've got Felix, who uh-huh. is yeah. nowhere near what he was before. Right, yeah. They've got their highest paid player, Robinson Cano, who's out for. Yeah. I mean, I mean, for all intents and purposes, he's out for the rest of the year. You've got Nelson Cruz, who's old and is another. He's a walking PED suspension <laughs> waiting to happen. Kyle Seager, I guess. Kyle Seager's very good. D Gordon's good. They've got some good players, but. They're in a tricky situation because they don't have a lot of trade assets. They don't have any young talent to speak of. And they're kind of in a situation where they've got to make the most of whatever window they've got here because it's going to get ugly pretty quick in Seattle. And I can't remember if we discussed the Mariners on the last podcast. We've or talked maybe, way too much Mariners. It was in the, the first preview. Two I, I don't know yeah. what. There's a weirdly built team in the way that, uh, yeah, they aren't really that good, but the long term. 
window doesn't look that great either, so I have no idea what's going to happen to them. No, I don't either. They've got a bunch more trades to make, mm-hmm. I think. I mean, Jerry DePoto is their general manager, and he's known for making about a 1,000 trades a year. Right. So I imagine there's more coming down the pike, but, I mean, I don't envision them staying in this race, really. I think they should probably sell off everything they can to try to rebuild, but at the same time, you know, they haven't made the playoffs since – well, in 2001? Is that the last time? Ichiro's oh, right. rookie season? I may be wrong, but I thought they had to have made it since then. I, I, once again, yeah, I could be wrong. Cause I'm going to look it up while you're talking, but I think it has been since 2001. Yeah, and while you're looking at that, that up, I mean, the last thing I want to say about the Mariners is I cannot possibly imagine being a fan of theirs. It would be terrible. I mean, <laughs> you think about in the 90s, they had King Griffey Jr., uh-huh. Randy Johnson, Edgar Martinez, who should be in the Hall of Fame, and... I, did I say I said Alex Rodriguez, right? Did I say I, they had Alex Rodriguez, they had Randy Johnson, King Griffey Jr., King Griffey Jr., Edgar Martinez, shout J- out Jay Buner, Jay Buner, who I was about to say, John Olru. This was one of the most exciting teams in the league twenty years ago, <laughs> yeah. and now this is where they're at. Okay, Mariners postseason drought, longest postseason drought in American pro sports history. Longer than the Browns, Lewis. No, the, and, and the last thing I want to say because God forbid we spend more time on the Mariners. I was wondering, I was like, they still play in Safeco Field, right? So, yes, I looked it up, and they do still play in Safeco Field. Do you want to know what the record attendance number at Safeco Field is? I have no idea, but I will guess, I, I don't know. I, you're only asking this because it's either comically high or what I would imagine is comically low. Okay. But I'm going to take a number right in the middle just to be boring and say 43,605. It is 55,000, but it is not for a professional baseball game. It is actually for WrestleMania 19. <laughs> so good for Safeco Field. Shout out to the fine people of Seattle. Got their priorities in order up right. there. Any, yes, you're right. We have to stop talking about the Mariners. This is not a Braves podcast. Apparently it is a Mariners podcast. Mm-hmm. But we talk, we, you touched on the trade for a minute. I, I guess I like the trade. They've got a good bullpen, but they definitely have to make some more moves. Absolutely. But the trade they made was with the Tampa Bay Rays. The other huge story from this past week is the Rays completely turning the Major League status quo as far as pitching rotations goes on its head. Sergio Romo, who's had about, I don't know, 14,000 relief appearances in his career, not only did he make his first start in the past 10 days, I think he started four games. I thought, yeah, it's at least three or four because he did twice or two starts last weekend and then a couple more since then. He started two games in a row. Mm-hmm. First player to start two games in a row since Zach Grinky when he was with the Brewers, when he got ejected after four pitches That's right. and started the next game. He actually, fun fact, Zach Grinky started three games in a row because he got ejected from the game on Saturday. Came back, started the game on Sunday. There was the All-Star break. Then it was the All-Star break, and he started their first game after the All-Star break. So Sergio Romo hasn't quite done that yet. Uh But what do you think of this idea? I mean, they're starting a relief pitcher. I guess the idea is to bring in one of your best relievers to face the top of the order and then bring in your you know mediocre starting pitcher, quote-unquote, to throw four or five innings and go from there. What do you think about this? No, the first time I heard about it, of course, I'm inclined to like all these new age things, but the more I thought about it and the more I heard uh, the reasoning for Kevin Cash's decision, who's the manager of the race, he had said going into it that the Angels were employing you know, a platoon-heavy lineup. I believe they had like three or four right-handed batters right there in a row to start the game. So if you've got a very good reliever such as Sergio Romo, who you like the matchups against those hitters like Mike Trout, like Shoatani and uh, Albert Pujols, all of them are in, in a row and want to get them out, I think it works great. And the thing 
you know, the theme that has kind of run through the race organization throughout their history is they've always been a step ahead of other teams in regards to the uh, the nerdy, the sabermetric type stuff, like with the shift, with the using your pitcher batting eight. You know, the small market teams, they've got to find any advantage they can, and the Rays, you know, as weird as it seems, just keep being the team to come up with it. When, when you're running payrolls that are, you know, $150 million less than teams in your own division, right. you know, when you look at the Red Sox and the Yankees, you have to be creative because they're not going to be able to just roll out a regular regular 25 man roster and play it like everybody else does and win because they don't have any you know they don't have any money to spend and when they do get a good player you know 9 times out of 10 they got to turn around and flip that guy before he becomes a free agent and gets too expensive so i'm with you i like the idea in theory right i like that they're trying something new they're branching out they are pushing the boundaries of you know the status quo in baseball to see you know if there's any value to be had in this kind of stuff and I, l- I like your point about doing it specifically when the matchups line up in your favor. Sergio Romo, first career, has been dominant against right-handed hitters. Mm-hmm. And in the two games he started against the Angels, the only left-handed hitter in their lineup was Cole Calhoun, who would be the third-best hitter in this room right now. Right. Between you, I, and Cole Calhoun, he's terrible. I also had him on my fantasy team. He's awful. So I love it in this situation. But I think what I like the most about it is that when you go into a game as the Rays, you've got Sergio Romo, who's one of your best relief pitchers, one of your best pitchers in general. If you could tell Kevin Cash before the game started that you're going to have Sergio Romo pitching in a tie game yep. against the top of the lineup, he'll take that. You Anybody, want that, yeah. Any manager would take that. You know, Whether it's the sixth inning, the eighth inning, the ninth inning, you'll take having your best reliever in a tie game, high leverage situation against their best hitters. So why not get it out of the way at the beginning of the game? Did you see what Zach Kozar said about it? Oh, I'm sure he was salty because he oh, struck he out scary. twice. He did. No, he he went as far as say that it's bad for the game of baseball. And you know, my first thought was no, it's bad for Zach Kozar because he doesn't want to face the best uh, pitchers that the Rays have to offer. But uh, I don't know. I'm excited about it. I, I hope they do it all season. And they've been playing pretty well since they started doing it. I mean. Their record isn't great. I think they're two or three games under 500, but it's better than what they have. That's for sure. Without a doubt. I mean, they're they're at 500 as we speak, but I mean, in that division, they're 10 games out of first already True. being 500. You know, you're 500 in the AL Central and you're two games back. So they're a good team. I don't know that they're going to make the playoffs this year, but I, I am glad that they are trying new things, that they're branching out. And you are absolutely right. Zach Cozart has no business to be <laughs> upset. He got struck out twice by Sergio Romo and did not get – to hit against Ryan Yarborough or whoever, you know, whatever starting pitcher they were going to throw. He missed in a bat against him. So I would be mad too if I was him. But uh, it kind of goes along with what we've seen, you know, trending in Major League Baseball where you've got teams who employ relievers more now and use relievers uh, more innings over the course of the season where guys like Andrew Miller, Chris Davinsky, uh, you've got guys who are coming out of the bullpen who are going to throw over 100 innings at some point. So, no, I think it just kind of meshes with everything we've seen this past year or two in baseball. It just makes sense. You know, you want your best pitchers to throw more innings. And even you know, if they're out of the bullpen, they're out of the bullpen. And it's a different look, but I'm, I'm with you. I, I don't know if it's going to work. I don't know if it's a thing that's going to happen every night moving forward, but it's definitely a fun quirk, and it's one of the things that I love about baseball. No, I'm very excited to see the rest of the season, how it plays out. All right, Lewis, one of the other huge storylines out of baseball in the past week or so has been Major League Baseball officially admitting that the baseballs are different. A story that we have all known about for the better part of a year. The maybe, worst kept secret in baseball. Maybe going on two years, right? The, the Ben Lindbergh from The Ringer did some research with a few other guys 
last year basically proving that the baseball is different. You know, we're not going to get into the math because I don't understand enough of it, but mm-hmm. it's flying farther, it's bouncier, there's less wind resistance, there's more home runs. We all knew it. Sure. Last year, MLB is denying it. This year, they finally come out and they say, okay, the ball's different. We didn't do it on purpose, yep. but it's different. That has, without a doubt, led to a huge spike in home runs the last couple of years. We're seeing home runs at rates that we haven't seen since everyone was on steroids in the late 90s. Right. Is it good for baseball? Does What does it mean for the sport as a whole? Do you enjoy watching this brand of baseball better? Does baseball have an obligation to fix this, or should they let it ride? Well, before we even talk about it, I mean, has, has the MLB even said what the issue is? Like they said, you know, it was accidental or whatever. Have they said why it's different? The What I heard was that the report, all it said was that the wind resistance on the baseball is substantially less than okay. it was before. They didn't say why, they just said it was. And the report I heard said that the wind resistance being, you know, being less was so such a big factor that it accounted for not only did it account for all of the, you know, the increase in home runs, but it should have based on the statistics, we would expect there to be, have been more home runs than there have been. Okay, I, I can kind of see how that would work, but no, the more I think about it, I'm just fine with it the way it is. Uh, I don't care what the balls are made out of, whether balls are flying out like it's the late 90s or they're staying in the ballpark like it's the dead ball era. I'm going to watch baseball no matter what. But, I mean, from a casual fan perspective, I mean, baseball was at its peak in the steroid era when fans are tuning in to see Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, Barry Bonds, how many home runs they would hit. So if that's what baseball feels they need to do to gain viewership or to be more appealing to fans, you know, so be it. Now, I don't necessarily think that's going to work because uh, I think what drives fans away more is the glacial pace of the games, but uh, I kind of like the balls flying out just a little bit more just because in the past years it seemed like there was less scoring, and uh, it's kind of like we're just back to the average now with me. I, I hear you. We can talk about pace of game here in a minute because I might have a different opinion than you on that. We might actually be able to have a disagreement. Sure, sure. But as far as the home runs go, I'm kind of with you. I mean, if you like baseball, you're going to watch baseball pretty much regardless, right? I You can appreciate a well-pitched game just like you can appreciate you know, a home run. I think that I guess my only question moving forward is now that MLB has admitted that the baseballs are different, well, let me put it to you this way. Do you believe them when they say that they had nothing to do with this? Because in the last, you know, 2011, 2012, 2013, run scoring was depressed to a point where we almost were back at, you know, dead ball level, you know, numbers as far as just runs being scored. You're seeing 2-1 games, 1-0 games all over the place. You know, the league leader in home runs is barely getting to 30. Right. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, you're seeing 50 home run seasons again. You know, guys are, the ball's flying out of the yard left and right. Do you believe them when they say they had nothing to do with this? Or do you think, you know, are you a conspiracy theorist that says, oh, no, they changed the baseball to get more fans back into the game? I mean, I think when it first happened, maybe there was some, you know, element of of an accident to it. But I'm sure that as soon as Major League Baseball took notice of it, that balls are flying out more. I'm sure they said, let's kind of keep this thing rolling. Let's roll on with it. I, I, I tend to agree with you. And I also agree with you when I said I don't think that it's going to work. Because, I mean, no. if you're a casual baseball fan, do you even notice that there's more home runs per game? No, I mean, absolutely not. That's something that's kind of off in the weeds. And baseball fans talk about it. But casual fans, this isn't how you're going to gain fans. And you said that you think that the pace of play is what drives people away. I kind of disagree with you there, too. Because I think if you like baseball... A three-hour and five-minute game, mm-hmm. to me, is no different than a two-hour and 55-minute game. Sure. I think that that narrative has been driven 
mainly by baseball writers who don't want to spend that extra 10 minutes a night in the booth. <laughs> They'd rather go home, which is fine. You know, I'm trying to get out of work 10 minutes early too. True. 30 minutes early if I can. I'm all about it. But I, th- I don't think it matters to baseball fans. I don't think baseball fans care. I think Rob Manfred is focused on the wrong things here. Sure. I, I would love to go to the MLB draft and boo Rob Manfred, but they don't have people, you know, they don't sell tickets to like the, One day. the, the, One day. Like the NHL does. Or NHL, NFL does. But anyway, we can talk about that more in depth later. The only thing that we've got left to talk about, jump in if you've got anything else. But the last thing on the list is the Atlanta Braves. This the big is, story, yeah. This is a Braves podcast after all. I try to deny it. But it's a Braves podcast. The week started off with a huge comeback. Braves down five in the bottom of the ninth against the Marlins, came back to win that game. And it's a good thing they did, too, because they turn around after that, lose two of three to the Phillies, two of three to the Red Sox, and split a doubleheader yesterday with the Mets. What are you taking away from the Braves this week moving forward? Well, I mean, in regards to the comeback, I've got to be totally honest. Um, was it nine to four? Yeah, it was nine to four when they started the comeback. Right. But by the seventh inning, I tuned out. I think there was an NBA game on. I can't remember which, but I tuned into that, and I'd seen that we'd scored a couple runs in the ninth inning and got it to like eight to six. And I thought, okay, maybe a little bit of comeback. Uh, but I, I kept watching that basketball game for some reason. Then when I got the notification that Dansby Swanson had that game-winning hit to make it ten to nine, I just thought, well. I've kind of messed up this entire night because I couldn't tell you a thing about that basketball game. What <laughs> you don't even remember who that? it was. Now, you know, once again, regret that I missed it, but it does reaffirm my belief that I don't care if he's hitting 320 or if he's hitting 120. I love Dansby Swanson. There's no way around it. Well, I'm glad you do because I'm almost out on Dansby. Really? He hit a home run in Fenway, huge home run. He had the walk-off hit against the Marlins on Sunday. But it seems like other than that, he's completely back into his old habits of last year where he's chasing the slider off the plate. He's swinging through fastballs. It looks like he's trying to, you know, his front shoulder's flying open. He's trying to hit everything out, which I'm, you know, I'm fine with hitting home runs, but you got to make contact at some point. I was in the ballgame yesterday. He, he struck out on one pitch that was just awful. That would have been ball four. I, I mean, and it seems like he's doing a lot of that. I've got, I've got hope. I think he's a good player. He's a uh-huh. very good defensive shortstop, and he gives other value on the field. And with the Braves' offense is, you know, clicking like it has been at this point in the season – we don't necessarily need Dansby to be, you know, an all-world hitter, but right. it's just frustrating. It seems like every bat he's flailing at pitches out of the zone, and I'm just I'm holding out hope that he turns it around. But it's not looking good right now. Now, what I'll give him, I will give him this. You know, I'm, I'm not a big fan of the eye test in sports. I don't think you can tell a whole lot just by looking at it. But Dansby in the game I was at yesterday. Uh, made an error in the first inning to let a guy get on first base. But after that, I mean, he made three or four plays. It just made me say, wow, because uh, he was making throws from deep in the hole. That, that nothing getting past him. I love watching him play shortstop, even though I think uh, later in his career he's going to kind of move to a corner. But, no, I love watching him right now. He, he's a poor man's Andrelton Simmons right now. I mean, he's nowhere near. Oh, sure. He's nowhere. I mean, a very poor man's. Homeless and, man's. And, right. I mean, he's a solidly above average defensive shortstop. And right now he's solidly below average at the plate. Which, I mean, you'll take it for now. He's still, what, 23? Yeah. You know. Former number one pick. I mean, I think he's got time to grow. Right. He'll come around. But speaking of young phenoms, Uh we have to talk about Ronald Acuna. Tell me, take me inside Aaron Lewis's head while Ronald Acuna is writhing in pain down the first baseline in Fenway. No, yeah, I mean, were were you watching in real time like I was? I was. I was watching in real time. You couldn't tell what happened in real time. No. You just see arms and knees and legs going everywhere, and then he's on the ground rolling around screaming. Yeah, I saw him hit the deck, and before I'd even seen the replay, my worst thought was that it was like the Bryce Harper play, you know, where he steps on top of the bag, slips off, hurts his knee. Even though I don't 
Bryce Harper only missed a month or two, didn't he? Six weeks, I think. Six weeks, something like that. It's not too bad. But then when they showed the replay of it, I saw the way that his leg bent. Then my second thought was, well, that's the season for Acuna. And uh, they showed, you know, down the first base line, they were like in the wheelchair out for the guy. Yeah. And I thought, holy cow, like this yeah. is going to be uh, six months before we see this guy again. And then out of nowhere, they start wheeling it out and he's on his feet again, kind of walking around. And then I did not know this, so I was literally leaving the game yesterday, but he apparently lobbied to play yesterday and the Braves did the right thing and shut him down. Yeah, yes. for 10 days, let him kind of heal up a little bit. Yeah, apparently he got. He, Showed up at the park yesterday morning with the rest of the team, was walking around eating breakfast, went out, Running was at some point. doing some drills in the outfield. It's unbelievable. I'm like you. When I first saw it, I thought, okay, it looks like maybe he turned his ankle, you know, tweaked his knee going by the bag. You know, maybe he, we can get out of this without it being too bad. Then you see the replay, and I'm oh, thinking man. Nick Chubb, you know, oh, Marcus Lattimore. Yeah. Let's just pray to God he's back by spring training next year. Yeah. And then I think the TV broadcast, I think it went to commercial – and came back, and he's walking off yeah. the field under his own power? Yeah. I couldn't believe it. No, just a quick question. I mean, so assuming you were in that situation and your leg bent like that, how many years would you be out? You know? I, it'd, be, it'd be it. I'd, I'd be, be done. I'd yeah. be done. I'd never come back. I would retire. Our our good friend Andrew Mullendore tore his ACL playing pickup basketball a few months ago. Oh, man. And I saw I saw him recently, and he's back on his feet. He's moving around okay. I said, Mullendore, when are you going to be back on the court? He said, never. Retired. <laughs> Hanging him up. When you get to our age, Lewis, I mean, mid-20s, it's over. You hurt yourself, it's over. Well, you you say that. I've I've only retired eight times after spraining my ankle, and yet I'm sure I'll be on the court this weekend. (laughs) And that's how it goes, right? But to answer your question, if my knee bends in that direction, I think you're just going to have to take it off above the knee. Oh, yeah. I mean, just go ahead and amputate it, get me one of those good prosthetics, and let's ride, because there's no way. that The news we got yesterday on Acuna is incredible. If he could make it back in 10 days, I mean, that's unbelievable. Oh, incredible, yeah. I said on this podcast last week that I can feel a dark cloud of just terror and bad things coming for this Braves team, and I thought that that was it with Acuna on the ground. But it looks like we dodged a bullet. All right, Lewis, unless you've got anything else, that's about all I've got as far as baseball talk goes for this week. No, I believe we've discussed, you know, maybe diving into the NBA just a little bit, so we got time for that, I think. Let's do it. Let's do it. You know, if this is going to be an MLB pod, a weekly MLB pod, there's only so many things you can talk about on a weekly podcast. So we're going to sprinkle in some other things. Let's go into the NBA. So the last two nights, we've had two Game 7s in the conference finals, and at the end of all that, we're right back where we knew we'd be. Yep. Warriors, Cavs. Take me through your thoughts. What, what did you think of these two Game 7s? What do you think of the coming series that we've seen three consecutive times? This will be time number four. You know, where, where are you, Where's your head at going into these finals? Man, I'm not going to lie. I think this has kind of been one of the lamest postseasons out of the NBA we've seen in a while in the way that there's not been a lot of good games. Like, even those two Game 7s, there were so many individual games there that were decided by like 10, 15, 20 points. It's kind of killed my vibe just a little bit. But I think going into this season, and especially going to the playoffs, I mean, Warriors-Cavs has been what we've all expected for months at this point. And I'm hoping that at this point, um, you know, this is kind of a conclusion to it. This is when we finally decide who's the better team, even though I think we all are kind of in agreement. It's the Warriors. No, I hate saying it, but for the first time in probably... 10 years since I was in high school. I'm tired of it, man. I'm just tired of the really? Cavs. Oh, yeah. I hear where you're coming from. I mean, this is... There's nothing else to say. We've seen this so many times now. This is literally the fourth year in a row. Yeah. The same series. And we all knew it was going to happen. There are several of you out there who picked the Cavs to lose during various series yeah. of the Eastern Conference playoffs. And you know who you are. 
and you picked against LeBron James, and uh, you know I hope that that sits well with you. Yeah, I don't recommend that. No, never pick against LeBron in the Eastern Conference playoffs. I saw a a tweet yesterday, and it had most conference or most NBA Finals appearances by franchise, Uh and I think first was the Celtics. Second was the Los Angeles Lakers, and third was LeBron James. Oh, Lord. He's made nine finals. Holy cow. Eight in a row. Eight in a row. He drug the rotting husk of Jeff Green. Jeff Green was the second best player the other night. Oh, yeah. And he yeah. drug him to the finals. But I'm with you. I don't, I'm not very interested in this finals. I think if, no. he, if LeBron and the Cavs win a game, they should probably get rings. Absolutely. And one guy who I was talking to earlier about, it, he was joking around. He's a conspiracy theorist like me. He said, what if... The NBA just finds a way to help the Cavs win the series, and next year we get the fifth and decisive series out of Golden State, Cleveland, and I'm not sure I'd watch a game of that because, like I said, I love the NBA. I love um, the two teams involved in this, but it's going to be tough to watch because I can't imagine the Cavs winning two games in the series. Like, no, like I said, I think it's probably going to be a sweep. I mean, the, the Cavs have LeBron, so I will give LeBron at least one game. Sure. He's going to win one game by himself. And the Warriors showed against the Rockets that if they don't show up, yeah, they can. They're vulnerable. You know, they can't just roll the balls out like they have, like they did last year, basically. Yeah. But at the same time, I don't think the Cavs are near as good as the Rockets are. Yeah. No, if I have to watch Kyle Korver, J.R. Smith, those guys guard guys for more than four games, I'm going to be just floored. I mean. It's there's not a ton of intrigue. What what you do have is you have an all time great team in the Warriors. Mm-hmm. I mean, even if they are more vulnerable than they have been the last couple of years, they're still an all time all time NBA great versus what I think who I think is the greatest player of all time. So there's some intrigue there, but I mean, we'll be lucky to get five games out of this thing. No, and I guess out of this series, what I'm most excited for is the whole LeBron James versus uh, Kevin Durant matchup because LeBron, obviously the best player of our, of our lifetime, if not the best player of all time, and Kevin Durant, who on any given night, given 100%, when called to action, I think KD might be the best player in basketball at the moment. Uh, so I'm excited to see them go head-to-head. He might be the best player in the league right now, at least at his peak. Sure. I think he has the highest ceiling. But at the same time, during the first quarter or the first half last night, he was getting beat to rebounds by P.J. Tucker. Yeah, he didn't look great last night. He looked completely half. disengaged. He couldn't stay in front of Eric Gordon on the defensive end. He was missing open shots. But then, you know, they show up in the third quarter like like they always do, and they, you know, hang like a 40 spot on the Rockets and put the game away. No, so, the Warriors in the third quarter is just a scary idea altogether. It's just like they, they go into halftime, and they wake up, and they realize that they actually have to show up and play, and they do, and then nobody can hang with them. Oh, and I think that's what you're going to get. The Cavs might steal one, maybe two, if LeBron goes superhuman. Oh, yeah. But that's all they can really hope for. And if it goes like we think it's going to go, and the Warriors win handily, is there any chance LeBron comes back to Cleveland next year? Yeah, man, there's definitely a chance. I was listening to Brian Windhorst talk about it, who even Windhorst at this point, who knows everything about LeBron, isn't super clued in because uh, you know if LeBron is looking out for himself winning championships, Cleveland's not the move this offseason where he's got to go somewhere. But, I mean, that's where he's from. His family's there. Who, who knows if they want to leave and find a new home or not. But um, I, I don't even know. If I was him, I mean, the Sixers would be a good option just because they've got all that young talent. Houston has both James Harden and you can keep Chris Paul out of it. Uh, a lot of options for LeBron, and I couldn't tell you a single thing about where he might go. I couldn't either. I think it comes down to what he wants from the rest of his career. Yeah. I mean, if he's still, if his goal is to beat Michael in terms of pure volume of championships, he can't stay in Cleveland. No. Because they're not going to win any more championships while he's there. I mean, they've got what is it, the number seven pick in the come in the draft. I think so. And Kevin Love, and that's it. I mean, he's not going to win another title in Cleveland. But I think 
last night, well, was it Sunday night, after they won in Game 7, for the first time, at least on my Twitter feed and in the articles I was reading, the mass, the consensus of people was starting to open up to the fact that LeBron James is the greatest player of all time. Oh, yeah. And I mean, get, getting this team to the finals it is, in and of itself, an incredible accomplishment. I think we both agreed on that. It is one of his greatest accomplishments in his career, I think. And he's finally starting to get some love. People are putting his name right next to Michael Jordan, and it's a legitimate debate now where it probably hasn't been in the past. So if that's all, you know, if that, I say if that's all he wants, if he just wants that recognition of everybody realizing that he is at least the second best player of all time, if not the best, then why not ride out in Cleveland? Stay home. Sure. And, you know, ride off into the sunset and win as many games as you can for your hometown team. But if he wants to win titles, he's got to go somewhere else. He's got to go to Houston, probably, yep. San Antonio, you know, Philly, LA, even. But, I mean, it's just who could be inside of LeBron's head. If Wendy's not inside LeBron's head, nobody is. Yeah, I wish we'd planned this podcast out better. Just because had I known we would talk this much about the NBA, I would have dug in a two-year-old tweets of people saying MJ's better than LeBron. We could have gone through them all well, and laughed at them. Put a pin in it. After the series <laughs> is over, I don't know if it's possible for it to be over by the time we record next week. But in uh-huh. two weeks, we'll really deep dive it and we'll get your thoughts on it. That's all we've got for today. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to the Informal MLB Pod Week 2 with a sprinkling of NBA. Thank you so much to Aaron Lewis for being here. As always, thanks for having me. Go follow him on Twitter at underscore E-L underscore P-E-L-I-R-R-O-J-O. He practiced. He was ready. El Pelarojo. Follow me at Lewis underscore 06. Follow the podcast at Informal US. Send us an email at informalpublication at gmail.com. Hit us up on Twitter. Let us know what you want to hear from these podcasts. Send us questions. We'll try to do a mailbag if we get some questions. Give us some things to talk about. But that's all we've got for this week. Till next week, peace.